everybody. Good to see all of you again. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, three weeks of sitting back and listening to everybody else. Uh, so special thanks to Brent and Ken and Tom for filling in uh, over the last uh, three Sundays. Uh, but it's really, really good to be back up here and to see all of you. And I was going to see your shining, smiley faces, but I can't tell that. I'm guessing. Yeah, it's in the eyes, right? Some of you are really good poker players when you cover your mouths, so that's funny. And for all the, of those, those of you who are um, um, checking in with us online, glad that you're able to do that digitally with us as well. If this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. My name is David. I serve on the pastoral staff, and my prayer is that you find something meaningful today. And t- today is one of those days where we can find some meaning because we are starting Holy Week, and it is Palm Sunday, and we're going to be talking about that uh, at length. And ultimately, as, as Dan uh, said and as uh, Pastor Mark shared in his prayer, this is the day that we remember how Jesus entered Jerusalem and um, how he was hailed as a king. Um, it's an interesting story, and in, in church tradition, this is the beginning of a week of um, uh, various uh, festivities and, frankly, services that, that go on. And, of course, our next one will be Good Friday. It'll be a digital service next Friday, 7.30 p.m. would love to have you tune in uh, after work on Good Friday. Uh, it also means that Lent is almost over. So if you've been um, doing any kind of fasting or whatnot, uh, you can, you know, start eating chocolate again or whatever it is that you're doing. So uh, that's kind of where we are in the whole process. And we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 19. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I'd invite you to turn there with me. We're going to get there eventually. Um, Over the last uh, couple of months, I've been pretty topical in in my, uh, my messages. But today we're going to crack the Bible open and dig a little bit deeper. So you Bible scholars are going to totally love this. It'll be great. And as is our custom, first we need a little context to Luke chapter 19. So remember, Luke is a Greek physician. He is not Jewish, and so he is writing to a non-Jewish audience, but because of his background, he tends to like uh, a certain level of detail. And he's, uh, according to his, his own work, he has investigated things by talking to eyewitnesses and making sure that he gets the story right. But as with any author, he has the ability to select certain stories and to put them in a particular sequence. We call that a freedom of the author. And so you're going to find stories that are similar in Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, because they all borrow kind of, well, Matthew and Luke borrow from Mark, and so you'll see some some overlap here, but it's not exactly the same, and that's okay, because we give the author author, uh, a certain amount of freedom to be able to sequence things, to tell the story the way he wants to tell the story. Does that make sense? And so here in in Luke, uh, what we find is that he chose to tell the story um, kind of on, on... Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem. So you have to keep that in mind. There's a lot of traveling that goes on in Luke's biography of Jesus. And actually, the whole thing starts in Luke chapter 9. So here it is. At 
um, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That's chapter 9. He hits Jerusalem in chapter 19. That's 10 full chapters of travel time. Okay? And along the way, he is training his disciples. He's telling parables. He's giving teaching. He's performing signs and wonders. And yeah, he's mixing it up with the Pharisees. So we see all of these things happening as he's traveling. So whenever you crack open the Gospel of Luke and you're anywhere between 9 and 19, you have to understand they're on the road to Jerusalem. Does it make sense? So keep this in mind. Sometimes it's really helpful to zoom out and see these things. And once they hit the capital city of Jerusalem, that journey is over, and Luke is very deliberate about this. It begins a new journey, and that's Jesus going to the cross. So you've got these journey narratives that are going on throughout the Gospel of Luke, and, and here we see the ending of one and the beginning of another. So a new journey. And so what we're going to do is um, we're going to read the story in kind of chunks, and uh, I'll try to make some uh, comments as we go, and then I'm going to offer a couple of thoughts at the end, okay? So let's start in Luke uh, chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. Now, um, keep in mind that the last city that they stopped in before Jerusalem was Jericho, okay? It's not that far, and in fact, I don't even think it's a full day's walk, if I remember correctly. So Luke chapter 19, um, <clears throat> here we go. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, this is very important. You always went up to Jerusalem. It didn't matter if you were going down south. Okay, you always go up to Jerusalem. Well, there, there's two reasons for this. One is that Jerusalem was actually located in the hill country, so theoretically, or as far as elevation goes, it was, it was higher. But more importantly, it was holy. You always go up to holy places. Does this make sense? So Luke pulls, uh, pulls that idea into here. After Jesus had said all this, in Jericho, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So again, we've got this travel language that's happening here. So he heads to Jerusalem, and then, um, uh, uh, we won't read this part of the story, but Jesus sends two of his disciples uh, on ahead to a village outside of Jerusalem to pick up a colt. Um, a, um, it was either a young horse, or more likely in this case, a young donkey, in order to fulfill prophecy. Dan read that a little bit earlier. Um, and what's so interesting is that it's another kind of a miracle or a prophetic utterance because the two disciples walk into the village and it is exactly as Jesus described. And so we pick up again in verse 35. They, those two disciples, brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, I've, I've talked about this in the past, um, and I won't take a whole lot of time to develop it, but <clears throat> the imagery is very similar to the coronation of King David. And if we look back, we can actually see that they did a similar thing. And it's, it's an undeniable reference <clears throat> to what was happening. But the, the thing that you, you, you have to understand here 
is that military leaders would often enter cities on war horses, either as a conqueror or as, again, a military leader. But David, um, in his coronation, chose to go in on the colt of a donkey. Why? Because it's a symbol of peace. Don't miss the fact that Jesus is doing a very similar thing. He is trying symbolically to make it very plain why he's there. And so you have this this thing that's occurring as he's entering the city where his disciples kind of pick up on this idea and they put their cloaks and they put it on him and they're throwing their cloaks and of course in the other um, uh, accounts we read about palm branches, right? How many of you were kids and you came into the sanctuary waving palm branches? And then you would save the palm branches till next week so you could make a little cross, right? Did you do that? That's, uh, we had to do that, those kinds of things because we were saving money. So you have the palm branches and you recycled them. See, the church has been recycling all the time. Got to keep up with it, right? <laughs> so <clears throat> David, David comes in on a donkey. Jesus comes in on a donkey. And not only are they um, uh, trying to symbolize peace, they're, they're actually going to proclaim it. So here we go. Um, verse 37, when he came near, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, this is, this is actually quite fascinating because remember Christmas time? It wasn't that far, or it wasn't that long ago, right? Just a few months. And when the angels showed up to proclaim the birth of Jesus, what did they proclaim? Peace. Peace on earth. Peace on whom his favor rests. And here we have the disciples picking this up. Now, one, one quick comment I want to make about the disciples. Um, we're probably talking about the 12 plus a few, <laughs> okay? There's more than, than more than just 12 disciples. Uh, in fact, we know that he kind of picked up uh, as he went along this journey. And so you have a fairly, you know, large crowd, pretty vocal, you know, shouting in the streets, okay? And, and so um, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In modern language, we say, hush up, Right? And Jesus, of course, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, this is a really interesting passage. And I puzzled over this one from time to time and learned some different things over, over the years that I, I find really interesting. But there's a contrast that's happening here. Okay, you have the disciples who are proclaiming um, the good things of God, and on the opposite end, you've got the Pharisees telling them to be quiet. You see the contrast? And up until now, all of the miracles testified to who Jesus was. You know, he, would, he taught with authority. There were signs and wonders. There were things that he was doing that supported the fact that he was who he said that he was. And, and um, if, if he wasn't saying it expressly out of his own mouth, then they were testifying on their own who he represented. 
And the salvation that God was offering through Jesus was so big that creation itself would take up the call if God's people wouldn't. Now there's a certain amount of hyperbole here, of course, but in my, I have this sense, and maybe it's just kind of because of my personality, but I think Jesus had almost a condescending tone in this. It's like, look, if the rocks start crying out, man, are you going to look silly? You're going to look stupid if they're doing it, and, and you're not. And I think he's, he's trying to make a not-so-subtle point that there are huge things going on here. And then something odd happens. I mean, really, really odd. Verse 41 as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over the city and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you, what's the word? Peace. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And it chokes him up. Because he's recognizing what's actually happening here. And, and it's not the, 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 the pettiness of what's going on with the Pharisees, but there is a much bigger picture. There is something larger at stake. He sees the city, he breaks down, and kind of just, if only, if only, and his lament and his, his indictment has two parts to it. The first thing is that Jerusalem failed to see what would actually bring peace. Verse 42. What would actually bring peace? Because, you know, the thought was, you know, kick out the Romans, then we'll be at peace. Really? Jewish history would argue otherwise. In fact, um, the dynasty of Jewish leaders that preceded the Romans was so bad that the city of Jerusalem opened up the gates for the Romans to come in. Why? Because the Romans offered stability. They didn't have that. If you actually understood what would, what would truly bring you peace, Jerusalem missed it. That's the first part of it. The second part is that Jerusalem failed to recognize that it was God himself coming to it. Between the two of them, I think that's worse. You're missing out the time of God's coming to you. And he, he gets choked up and he, he weeps over, over that. The inhabitants and the leaders were preoccupied with internal politics and self-importance, and they're all jockeying for position. They're too focused on what's happening inside the city and inside the country and all of those kinds of things that they forget. It's not that they forget, they just miss. They miss out on what is truly peaceful and, and who it is that was actually visiting them. Interesting side note here, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of these biographies of Jesus, 
once Jesus enters the city, do you know the first thing he does? He goes to the temple. And I find this really interesting, especially in light of Luke's mention of this lament. Because the temple was the place where God dwelled. You can read about it in the Old Testament, but it was called Shekinah glory. And and God would come down and he would fill the temple with smoke and with light and with fire and all kinds of special effects. (laughs) But God hadn't been in the temple for 300 years. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, God enters the temple again. And they missed it. That's the tragedy of the triumphal entry. It wasn't that they got it wrong about the coming king, but they thought too small. And Jesus is trying to symbolize all of these great things that are occurring. And Jesus, God had returned to the temple. You know, Jesus weeps because his people... um, don't fully grasp what the kingdom of God is really about. I think that's what this ultimately comes down to. They've got in their mind this small idea of what the kingdom ought to be. And it ought to look like something in the past, and yet with Jesus, something's changed. It's new. It's very different. And I think those people certainly thought that Jesus would continue to do signs and wonders and then that they would just translate it to something a whole lot bigger. And from what we know, I think most people thought at the time the coming Messiah, this one that was promised in the Old Testament, um, would return Israel to its own sovereignty, to kick out the Roman occupiers and and to bring back the, the borders of King David and King Solomon. I think I know that's that's what at least a lot of them believed at the time. But but here here's the thing. Here's the thing. Human beings, that's you and me, we tend to interpret God's plan through the lens of our current circumstances. That's a good point, David. Right there. Human beings tend to interpret God's plan through the lens of their current set of circumstances. And so we look under every rock and, every, and behind every tree and we're looking for signs and all of those kinds of things. Oh, this might be God's will. And I told you this story before, but I remember when I was interviewing to come to, to Tulsa and uh, I, I remember that um, we were living in Wisconsin at the time, and, and we were, I don't remember where we were. I think we were at a grocery store somewhere, and we saw a couple of license plates from Oklahoma. <gasps> it was a sign. It was a sign from God. <laughs> now, the one that was, you know, three doors down from California, no, 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 mm-mm, that's not a sign. <laughs> right? I'm just kidding. But we tend to do that. We tend to look at our own set of circumstances and we're wondering what God's plan is for our own lives. And so we tend to to see the entire set of circumstances and then try to interpret from there what God's plan might be. I think that's just human. But unfortunately, I think when we do that, we're still missing the kingdom. I think we still miss it. 
because maybe we don't think too, maybe we don't think big enough. Maybe that's the, the way to think about this. <laughs> and we live in such a divisive world, don't we? Not getting any better. We argue, we debate. No, we, we, we don't debate anymore. That doesn't happen. We fight. We fight over stuff. We fight over politics. We fight over sexual orientation. We fight over economics. We fight over masks and vaccines. And we fight over inequality and injustice. And those are not the same thing, by the way. Inequality and injustice are not the same thing. And we write things online that we would never say to someone's face. And we break fellowship and we part company with people and we even leave churches over this stuff. And frankly, I understand why. I mean, I, I do. I, I understand why, but I can't help but think that somehow we are missing the opportunity of the kingdom while we're fighting over it. It just seems dumb to me. And yet I think, I think we do it. The funny thing is, Jesus actually addresses this. This is interesting. It's on the journey to Jerusalem, but there's this little vignette. It's in Luke chapter 17. I'll show it to you here in a second. But Jesus actually, he points this out. And I want you to see it, because I think it's important. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. What? Wait a second. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is within you. Some translations say, in your midst. It's a very odd word combination. But the kingdom of God is within you. Huh? When will the kingdom come and we look for observable signs? Please don't misunderstand you ought to be looking for signs. But Jesus says that's not how you're actually going to find it. It's within you. It's within your midst. And so here we are fighting over all of these things. Who's right and who's wrong. And I'm not saying that you know, there's no right and wrong. I'm not suggesting that. But what I'm saying is that we're fighting over all of these things. But if you really want to find the true kingdom of God, the one that Jesus was talking about, not the one made up by, by denominations or even theological traditions or anything, if you want to find Jesus and his kingdom, it starts in your heart. You want to find it? It starts there. And the actions that come from your heart, that's where the kingdom is. (laughs) 
we've been talking um, a lot about the fact that <clears throat> something has changed with the pandemic. Um, in fact, I just read a statistic. I was uh, sharing this with Dan and a couple of others and that 25% of congregations are letting their pastors know that they are, will not be returning to church. 25%. Yep, we've seen it too. <laughs> oh, and I feel those. Oh, I really do. But, but something is shifting in the culture, and it's not like they're mad or they're upset. I think it's just giving people pause to sit and think about what it is they actually believe in, in their, their connection with the church, and, and I understand that. I, I mean, we're all rethinking this stuff, and, and I think what happens is, is that there's this, this notion that we're going to somehow return to normal. Can we just be honest and say that maybe normal wasn't working before the pandemic? How about we not go back there? What would that be like? Now, that doesn't mean we jettison everything, but the point that I'm trying to make here is that if we really want to find the kingdom of God like we say we do, maybe we need to go deep inside ourselves first. Learn how to listen to God and process with the people around us and then actually respond to the things that we hear might be a better approach, might be a little more productive. And, and that's why I think our approach at, at, at Thrive will always be to help each person find the presence of God. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state this. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Okay, that's all right. I'm going to step into it anyway because it's fun. It's none of my business who goes to heaven or hell. My job is to offer heaven and the kingdom. That's it. And the best way that I can do that is to help you find the presence of God somewhere in your busy day so that you learn how to listen to that voice and then learn how to be courageous enough to follow it. And I don't care what your sin issue is, and you all have them. We all do. But the kingdom of God is about people who are messed up and still trying to follow Jesus. And in that process, they find the salvation of God. They find a change in their heart towards themselves and towards their fellow human beings. And whatever the issue is, whatever junk you're bringing in with you, the remedy is still the same. It's the presence of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And that's why, you know, when we, when we talk about the presence, this is the reason why, because this is where the kingdom of God is. Look, in your heart, the kingdom starts because you're a citizen of that kingdom. And you're listening to your king. Because there's no kingdom without a king. The people of the triumphal entry understood that. They just put the kingdom in the wrong position. 
And so I encourage you today, as you consider the triumphal entry, as you begin this idea of Holy Week, you take very seriously the idea the kingdom of God is within you. It's in your midst by what's going on in your heart and how you're interacting with one another. It's that simple, but it ain't easy. Well, they want to pass such and such a legislation. Do you know what they want to do? Do you know how, how, how I've been hurt? No. I don't know any of those things. But I know that God does. And I know that God is whispering to you in your heart. Now that doesn't mean we don't participate in politics. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that we don't look to the word and say, okay, what is right and what is wrong? I'm not su- suggesting any of that. But hey, can we deal with the, the log in our own eye? And then we'll worry about the speck in someone else's? <laughs> and so my encouragement to you today is to find a time in your busy life to just connect with, with Jesus, even if it's for five minutes. Just for five minutes. Oh God, what's going on? And then listen, all day, if you have to. Because sometimes God waits. And for some reason, he tends to speak in very inconvenient times, I've noticed. Like when I'm feeling self-righteous about something or trying to prove a point to my wife. (laughs) Yeah, uh uh-huh, it happens. Or when somebody cuts me off as I'm driving somewhere. Or in the shower. I don't understand the shower, but that happens often. It might be different for you. Heavenly Father, Jesus, King Jesus, you've said it very plainly that the kingdom of God is within us and that the thing that would truly bring us peace isn't about who holds the keys to government or who has all the money. The thing that brings us peace is is the fact that, that God has come to us and that you want to be with us, that you want to speak to us, that you want to empower us to do kingdom kinds of things. Jesus, I pray that here at the kind of the height of the pandemic, with all the craziness that's going on around us, Lord, that we would hear your voice, that we wouldn't settle for going back to some normal that didn't work, but we would hear you, that we would have the courage to process what we're hearing with the people around us who love us. 
and then to take the bold step to actually follow you, to do something about it. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's the kind of God you are. And that's the only thing that will really bring us some peace. Lord, you know all things. You know what's going on in the hearts and minds of the people who are are gathered here and gathered online. I'm so grateful that you do. (laughs) Take some pressure off. And Lord, I pray that even now you would uh, be speaking to us all. And I keep thinking about that word, Hosanna. <laughs> it means save us. Lord Jesus, I pray that each one of us um, would embrace your salvation. It might mean some repentance, some turning from one thing to something else. It might mean that we got to deal with some sin issues. But I think for all of us, it starts with the simple idea that you're speaking and that your heart is for peace. That you've come to us for that very fact and and that your heart is to speak to us, to be in relationship with us, to actually, you know, empower us to do things, to be a part of your kingdom enterprise We get to do that. And Lord, I confess it. We miss it. I miss it. Often. But I don't want to do that. And now seems like a really good time to change. So wherever people are, um, would you speak to them? Help them to see what really brings them peace. And as we, as we sing this next song, the reason why we, we sing to you, Lord, Hosanna, save us, is because we know you can. And it's not that we're challenging you to do it, we're counting on you to do it, because you're so good, and your heart is so big that it's got room for us all, warts and all, and all of our mess and junk and foolishness, you, you've got love to spare. And so as we sing, Lord Jesus, don't just hear our words. Hear our heart. I invite you to stand.